our Lord and Savior. Worthy is the Lamb to receive honor, glory, power, and dominion, both now and forever. I appreciated those opening thoughts this morning. I uh, am trembling this morning. I feel very needy of the help of the Holy Ghost. Maybe we could just rise and pray. Father, you are our bread, you are our sustenance, you are our rock, you are the hiding place from a dry and weary land. O God, our hope and our trust is in you. There is nothing within man to provide food and water to the weary. There is nothing that we can give, O God. We look to you for our help. We look to you, Father, to feed your sheep. Lord, may you be honored, glorified, and exalted, and praised. Let your name, O God, be exalted and revered and held in reverence before us today. We pray, Father, that you would Speak to us and give us the living words that we've already heard this morning. Lord, we dedicate this time to you and pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would help me to speak boldly the word of truth with grace. And Father, that your people could be fed and renewed and strengthened in the faith this morning to your glory. For you are the great shepherd of the sheep. You have given the life of your son for us. And we pray, O God, that you would help us in our hearts to love you fervently and to serve you out of a true heart fervently. Father, we pray that you would be with us now. And we trust you. We believe you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I appreciated the tenor of the um, <clears throat> message this morning already. I think God is speaking. And, um, you know, there is, it's like the brother said, there is maybe sometimes a couple of different types of tiredness. Uh, Isaiah talks about being weary because of the greatness of our way. And God's not really there to look out for us on that one. If we are so busy, if we are weary because of the the business is controlling us, then that's a weariness that we may need to look at and, and change around. But if it's a weariness because of serving Christ, if it's a weariness that we're experiencing in the name of Christ, then God is more than willing And happy to come and strengthen and renew us. And I appreciated what we've heard about that this morning. It's a joy to be here with you all this morning. I I anticipated being here and again uh, being with my Uncle Dave and uh, here in the church that he goes to. um, I've been looking forward to come and see them for quite some time. And uh, it's a blessing to be here. All right, this morning... 
for a message. I don't know where you all are at. I'm not sure. I know that your church probably operates just a little bit differently than our church does. That's that's okay. That's of no concern to me. Um, But there is a church. There is a bridegroom of Jesus Christ. And there will be a church. There will be a remnant before the throne one day praising God in his own presence. And may the Lord build his church. May God give grace and glory that the church of Jesus Christ could be strengthened and reveal the glorious things of God in our day and age. In 2017, when the world is dark, when there's hopelessness, when there is more questions than answers of life and eternity, may God give strength. And so the title this morning is The Bridegroom, The Bride, and The Mystery. And my heart is for us this morning. I have a burden on my heart for the church because it seems like there is a time. I don't know how you face it here. I think you probably do. But we face an enemy and it seems like we're in a time when Satan wants to take his people down and wear his people down through lack of answers, through confusion, through lack of clarity. Um, there is so much confusion in the world today. There's so many different ways of, of trying to come to the truth. And everything is, is, is tolerable except intolerance. Any, any clear lines, any absolutes are, are attempted to be done away with. And that's the work of Satan. And it's having an effect on the church. And my burden is, is that the church could stand strong. And reveal the glorious things that God had intended for the world to see through the church. God had an intent for God, his people. God had a glorious picture in mind to show forth his glory. That was the purpose of the children of Israel, the church in the wilderness, it calls it in one place. When they came out of Egypt, they were called out. And that was a purpose of the children of Israel to show forth a, 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 a picture of God to the world at that point. And when they became associated and one with the world and the countries and the nations around them, there was no glory to God in that. And the same happens so easily today. The church gets acclimated, gets one with the world, and there's no glory to God in that. There is a distinct difference between Christ's people and the world's people. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Turn to Psalms chapter 48. A prophetic scripture, I believe, of the New Testament church. And I know David here was looking at Jerusalem there. And we just want to look at a couple of prophetic scriptures here of the New Testament church. Psalms 48, verse 1. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. On the sides of the north and the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. Is Mount Zion, is the church today beautiful for situation? Is it the joy of the whole earth? Turn over to Isaiah 61.
Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Brothers and sisters, the church, Zion, is a safe place. It's a place of freedom. It's a place of liberty. And it's a place of comfort in our mourning. And that's one tremendous difference. We're not going to go into that a whole lot, but that's a great difference between the world and its social clubs and its friendship circles versus the church. There is beauty in the church for ashes. There is a comforter. There is a balm in Gilead. There is the Son of God to come and meet our needs and give joy for mourning. Let's read in verse 8. For I, the Lord, love judgment. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. That's a new covenant through Jesus' blood. And their seed shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. All that see them shall acknowledge them, that they are the seed which the Lord hath blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all nations. And the question to to you and I is, are we going to be part of it? Are we going to be part of God's working and God's blessings and God showing forth his people evidently among the heathen because of their lives of truth and judgment and righteousness? Are you going to be part of it? Am I going to be part of it? There, it will happen and it is happening all over the earth. And some places it's happening in great suffering. Some places it's happening in obscurity. Are we going to let it happen? What is this? Lebanon County? Lebanon County, Pennsylvania. Are you going to make it happen right here? Are you committed to it? You see, for us to experience the glories of the church, for us to experience God's blessings upon us, you and I must be committed to that end. And I can tell you, there's an adversary, there's an enemy that's not liking it happening. There's all kinds of deception coming into the church taking away one, one very crucial and important element. And that is the cross. That is the cross. And we're going to look at that this morning a little bit because I believe that is where church starts. That is where fellowship begins. That is where brotherhood is birthed at the foot of the cross. Let's look at that. And we'd like to look at the cross and the love of the bridegroom from the perspective of Mary, Jesus' mother. <clears throat> Let's go to Christ's birth in Luke chapter 1. I may need a drink of water. I, I, um, 
underneath. I didn't see it. Thank you. Luke chapter 1 in verse 30. And the angel said unto her, this is when Gabriel made his appearance there with Mary and um, was prophesying, giving her the message of Christ. In verse 30, and the angel said unto him, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. In verse 37, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let's go down to um, look at where the shepherds came. The angels came to the shepherds and the shepherds came to uh, Joseph and Mary there in the stall. Chapter 2, verse 15. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She just thought about them, just pondered them in her heart. And over with Simeon, when they went to the temple, Simeon came out to meet them in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles in the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again in many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy soul also. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And over in verse 48. When they could not find Jesus, they were looking for him for three days, and they finally found him in the temple. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not that saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And I don't know what Mary was thinking. I don't know if Mary understood what was going to happen to this man. I don't know if she understood the end of this man or not or his eternity. 
Um, but we're going to turn now over and look 33 years later when Christ was finally come to his trial. <clears throat> and, and look at this here from, from this perspective, from Christ's sufferings. And I want us to keep in mind that this is love that was doing this. This is the love of the bridegroom for his bride. And then well, let's go to John 19, verse 1. John 19, verse 1. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Another gospel. It says, as they were doing this, prophesy who smote thee. And I'm amazed here at the power of Christ. You know, through his last three years of ministry, there was many things that he did that was powerful. Touching people, healing them. Um, many miracles he worked that were spoke of power of Christ, the power of Christ. But here Christ seemingly was helpless and they were enjoying every minute of it. Slapping him and he's blindfolded and prophesying now. Who, who smote you? And you know what? Christ could have so easily ripped that thing off there and said, you did it. I know you were the one doing that. I know you did it the second time back from that. He could have so easily done that. Power is not always in what can be done. Power is what we do not do sometimes. Power is what we allow in our lives. Power sometimes is to not resist. And though sometimes God works great things for us, sometimes the Red Sea splits and makes a dry path for us, and sometimes it does not. And power is not always what can be manifested. Power is sometimes surrender. In verse 5, Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. And I don't think Pilate was a very tender-hearted man. Probably he saw a lot of suffering. He probably was, this was not the first crucifixion that he saw. But something about this man gripped his heart. And he told the Jews, Behold him. Look at him. In Isaiah it says that he was marred more than any man. You see, the price of envy. Those Jews wanted him gone. Those Jews, it says before, when he was riding into Jerusalem, they envied him. For all the people were going after him. So the price of envy. Behold the man. He was marred and looked terrible by the suffering that he had endured. When the chief priest, in verse 6, therefore an officer saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And it seems like Pilate here was in a struggle of seeing the intensity of the Jews. Bloodthirsty. 
But yet, feeling in his heart, it seems like he had awareness in his heart that there was something different about this man. There was something going on here that was something bigger than just a regular crucifixion. And I think Pilate was struggling with this, trying to figure out what is going on. And, you know, all this clamor that was happening all around, all this mob of people that so desperately wanted to get a hold of this man, this confusion, this, this loudness, this yelling and mobbing, and all of this was done by the strength, by the life, that the man that they were condemning was giving. You see how blind we can be. You see how blind envy can make us. You see how blind a sinner can be when sin blinds our eyes. We cannot see truth. And it was all done by the strength that this man was allowing them to have. In verse 12, And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Let's go over to verse 16. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. Now you can read over that phrase very quickly, where they crucified him. Four words can be read very quickly. You can read that and never think about what that entails. But for Christ Jesus, it entailed a lot. Where they crucified him. And only God knows the pain and the anguish that that man went through, hanging there. And though everyone else down in the bottom, those Roman soldiers and those Jews, thought they had the world by the tail, they finally were getting done what they wanted to do. And there was a Savior who was suffering. Go down to verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary and the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. <clears throat> and from that hour that disciple took her into his home. Thirty-three years later, and here she was standing, watching her son die, and I don't know if she thought about what Simeon had said. A sword shall pierce thy soul also. And I don't know how it is to be a mother watching a son die, but I'm sure of this, that it would be extremely excruciating to stand there and to watch her son that she knew did nothing wrong die. And the one that was supposed to be great in Israel, and the one that was supposed to take on the, the throne of David, and this man was going to be great, And 33 years later, he's on the cross and he's dying. And the sword that pierces her soul, 
And I say all that for one question. Has the sword pierced your soul? Has the sword of Christ's sufferings pierced your soul? Does it mean something to us? Do we appreciate it? Does it cause love in our hearts for Christ? Has the sword pierced your soul? And when's the last time when you knelt or when you were working or when you were driving down the road and you wept for the grace of God? Now, I know salvation is not emotions, but how can you be saved and not show emotion for it? Is it precious to us? You see, at that place, at that position of brokenness, when I view the cross and I see what Christ has done for me and I'm amazed that Christ could forgive me of my sins. There is brokenness there. There is love there. There is forgiveness there. When we draw away from the cross, we draw away from brotherhood. When we remove ourselves from the preciousness of that atonement and that forgiveness and that love, we cannot experience brotherhood. We cannot experience fellowship. And the moment that you forget of what things that you were forgiven from, and that is no longer clear to you, you cannot experience brotherhood. Because it is at the foot of the cross that we experience oneness. It is at the foot of the cross in this atonement, in this forgiveness, in this love where we find oneness. This is where there is forgiveness for my brother. And as I'm kneeling there and I, as I remember what great things God has done for me, what sins that God has forgiven me from, suddenly your faults do not look so big. Suddenly now, in the light of God forgiving me for so much, I find it easy to forgive you of your debt against me. But when I am not there, when I do not remember what, what Christ has forgiven me from, I can very easily hold that against you. And that thing that was said last week, I'm just going to ignore him for a while. That's not happening at the foot of the cross. And I tell you what's not happening at the foot of the cross either is a better than now attitude. When I feel like I'm more spiritual than you. When I feel like I've got monopoly on truth and you do not. That doesn't happen at the foot of the cross. It's this level. There is oneness. There is fellowship. There's brotherhood at the foot of the cross. Why? Because we have all been forgiven of such a great debt. And been delivered from the wrath to come. And I just want to ask you, are you living in the light of that? Are you living in the shadow of the cross? And it does not have to stop when you get off your knees in the morning and go to work. You can live in fellowship and oneness and harmony with Christ Jesus while you set the trusses. You can do it while you're driving down the road. You can do it while you're repairing that thing. Christ Jesus within us and the love that he has for us overwhelming our hearts and the grace of God residing and pouring out of our lives. And in that, we're all doing it together. And grace is pouring among us and flowing among us and living water among us. And there's healing. There's oneness. There's hope there. When we move away from the foot of the cross, we move away from brotherhood. 
And of course, there are times, I'm sure, that I experience times when that is not as clear as I wish it would be. That is up to us, brothers and sisters, to make the choice to come back to that. And there is no better distraction that the devil uses today than the cares of this life. You and I are responsible to guard closely this oneness, this relationship with Jesus Christ. I would like to read a a song that has meant a lot to me already. That I really appreciate. It it spells out so clearly this love. Wondrous love, unbounded mercy. Vast as oceans in their flood. Jesus, Prince of Life, is dying. Life for us is in his blood. Oh, what heart can e'er forget him? Who can cease his praise to sing? Wondrous love forever cherish while the heavens with music ring. On the mount of crucifixions, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Christ Jesus, bringing grace and truth. Let me all thy love accepting. Love thee ever all my days. Let me seek thy kingdom only. And my life be to thy praise. Thou alone shalt be my glory. Nothing in the world I see. Thou hast cleansed and sanctified me. Thou thyself hast set me free. In thy truth thou dost direct me. By thy spirit through thy word. And thy grace my need is meeting. As I trust in thee my Lord. Of thy fullness thou art pouring. Thy great love and power on me. Without measure. Full and boundless. Drawing out. My heart to thee. You see, brothers and sisters, that is the response of the bridegroom to the love of the bride. I'm sorry, the, the response of the bride to the love of the bridegroom. When the, the bridegroom has, has won and captivated the heart of the bride by his love. And the response is instant. The response is active. The response is instantaneous at the foot of the cross where I see that love. And that love has enthralled my heart. And there is no problem letting the world go. There's none. I gladly go for the bridegroom. I gladly go for Jesus Christ because it is so much better. And the love that I now experience in the Son transcends all the joy and all the pleasure that the world could ever give in a lifetime. Therein is the doctrine of nonconformity. It is not an assent or a lining up to an external code of laws. Nonconformity begins in the heart because there is something better that has captivated the heart than the world. And one thing that happens when you're going away from that point is when you're going towards this point, you're going away from the other point. And when you are going for Jesus Christ, there is something that happens. And that is that you no longer find fulfillment in the things that you used to find them in. There is a love, there is a relationship, there is a fulfillment 
in serving Jesus Christ. And I would that the church of Jesus Christ would experience more of this joy. That we could show to the world there is a higher joy than experiencing the world, than going boating, than doing all that fun stuff. There is a more lasting and more fulfilling joy to be had in the Lord Jesus. Now, the interesting thing about that is, is yes, we can still enjoy a boat ride. But you know what? The, the fact of the matter is that boat ride is more enjoyable now because I have Jesus Christ. My conscience is clear. My life is free. And I can enjoy life so much fuller. But the things that I used to do, I did them to find that joy. And they were not there. But now the things that I experience are full of joy because I have found the fulfillment of joy in Jesus Christ. You see, the church is not separated from the world by looking different. The church is not separated and different because we have a set of standards to make us different. The church is different because they love Jesus Christ. And out of that love for Jesus Christ, now his commandments are not grievous. When there's a young couple... Well, I'm going to use us. We've been married 10 years, but we are still on our honeymoon. When we love, when my husband and uh, when, when my wife and I love each other as we should, when there is a when there is thoughts given from my wife about how we should do something, or when there vice versa, when I give thoughts direction to her, if there is a close, loving, working relationship, there's no problems. Because we enjoy doing things for each other. We enjoy it. Now, when I love Jesus Christ, this right here is not going to be a problem. And I'd like to ask a question. Why then? Why then is the church seemingly always going closer to the world? Why is there such a battle? Why is there such a battle? Why does it seem like we always got to watch ourselves and come out again and, and start something else again? Or Why is there a tendency to go for the world? I remember walking through Myers, a grocery store down there, and, and seeing some people there that were obviously supposedly part of a uh, Anabaptist Circle Church. I don't know what you call them up here. Uh, whatever they had a little bit of uh, an expression of that, but it was so evident that it's they're trying to hide. Why is that? Why do I hide? Want to hide an identity that conforms me to Jesus Christ and His Word? You see, I do not love Him as I ought. I have not taken the way of Jesus as I should. And, and, and I have not been fulfilled and, and worn by the heart of Christ to the extent that I am ready to follow him whatever the cost. And the world is left behind. It is sad when the world becomes captivated again. The church becomes captivated again by the world. There is a responsibility for us as the bride. To keep ourselves unspotted and undefiled. I'm going to read to you a, a, a scripture in Second Corinthians. I think it is. 11 verse 2. 
2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Paul is lamenting to the Corinthian church that he fears for them. And I see now that I do not have the right reference. I'm going to read it. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You see, we expect our wives to be chaste. We expect our wives to be loyal. And you and I, as godly husbands, are going to get very jealous over that. If there's any questions, if there's any blurring of the lines here, we're going to be jealous for that. Jesus Christ is jealous for his bride as well. He doesn't want us to be defiled with the world. He doesn't want us to be spotted with the things of the world, with the world view that he has to offer, with the answers that he has to offer, the securities that the world offers. Chase virgin to Christ. We are responsible to keep ourselves unspotted. Let's talk about that a bit now. Uh, the purity of the Christ. Now, when a, a husband and wife, when a, they've been dating for a year and we finally have the wedding and that, that young man and woman, they come together. Part of the beauty of that is the purity that is there. That is part of the beauty of the church. It's purity. Let's protect it. Let's, let's watch over that thing that we don't defile ourselves with. The, with. That's why when, those, when, when it was called the church, that means a calling out. We are called out. And as the children of Israel were called out of Egypt, we are called out of the world. We are called out people for Christ, a chaste virgin to God, separated unto God, not separated away from the world, but separated unto God. The world being circumcised from our hearts is gone. And there's no longer a need for a, a, a set of rules to keep me separated from the world because it's laws written on my heart. I don't want the world. I'm going a different direction. And, and, and so when this thing of spots, when this things of defilement come into play, let's look at that a little bit. The, the, the Jude talks about three spots. Let's go look at that. In Jude... I have to look at the reference here, the verses. Okay, in verse 11 and 12. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perish in the gainsaying of Cory. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you. Feeding themselves without fear. You basically have three spots there in verse 11. You have Cain, which is envy. You have Balaam, which is greed, and you have Cory, which is rebellion. Three spots that have not gone away from trying to stick on the garment of the bride. Envy kills relationships every time. We just looked at what it did to Christ. It started with Cain and Abel, that envy. Envy is what put Joseph in that pit. Envy is what threw that javelin to try to nail David to the wall. Envy kills Envy splits a church every time envy has death. Terrible things happening within the church. 
And that can be so subtle. And I want to encourage you to do warfare against Satan against that thing. Because you are not resisting against flesh and blood. There's an enemy that wants you to start eyeing your brother and wish you would have the gifts that he has. And you wish that you could be appreciated and noticed like he is. That is envy. And that will destroy. The next thing you will start doing is gossiping and trying to bring his reputation down a bit by bringing yours up. That is deadly to fellowship. Every time. Guard it. Don't let it in your life. If you find in your heart a seed of envy, you deal with that thing at the foot of the cross. The second one is greed. And that one, my friends, is a bad one too. I fear for us, for our money. And I'm just going to say it the way it is. I'm sorry if you don't like me for it. But I believe that money, that greed for more money, is disabilitating the church of Jesus Christ. I believe it is. I believe we are sacrificing on the altar our children for more money. Now, I am not saying that you cannot make a lot of money. The Bible never condemns making lots of money. But it talks straightforward about what you're doing with it. And I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, I have no clue what's going on here as far as your finances. I just want to ask you, what are you doing with the money that God is putting into your hands? And what are you doing with your time? I believe, I truly believe, and we'll get into more of this later, but if we would have more of a brotherhood accountability, and this is a desire for our church in Tennessee, that we could possess a, 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 just a transparency and openness about our finances and accountability. And before you make that next investment, ask a couple of brothers, do they think this is a wise investment? Ask your brothers. Be open about it, transparent. Maybe they're seeing something in your life that you're not seeing. Maybe they are seeing that you're spending less time with the family. Maybe they're seeing that you could be more fruitful in the church. If you would not have this business quite so big, taking up so much of your time, ask your brothers, be accountable. The thing of greed is so subtle. I want more instead of being satisfied and content with what God is allowing me to receive. I want more and more and more. And that is so very subtle in our in the hearts of us men, because it's 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 so real to us to want to overcome, to to improve. God meant for that to be spiritual. Yes, you do need to provide. That's good. God made you right. God made us right. But take that overcoming spirit. Take that leading um, gift that you have and invest it in kingdom stuff. All right. And then the spot of rebellion. I'm not going to say much about that. I just want to say this. If you have a problem with those that are over you, it doesn't matter if it's a dad or a mom, it doesn't matter if it's elders in the church, if it's the uh, head elder, it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter if it's the school teacher. If you have a problem with that authority in your life, you better know. Before you address that, you had better know why you're addressing it. God doesn't have any time for rebellion. You study 
Dathan and Byron and Cora here. And I'm telling you, God doesn't have any time for rebellion whatsoever. And if you're a part of a rebellion, God's anger lies upon you. That's just the way it is. God cannot bless rebellion. And may God give our hearts submitting hearts, hearts of meekness, so that we can blend into the brotherhood. Other sins. Uh, I'd like to go to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, if you would. And we're going to look at a few verses there in, in verse 14. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out. From among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And there's one thing that comes to my mind when I think of the flesh and spirit, filthiness of flesh and spirit, and I think of pride and selfishness. And oh, there are great price, great costs to pride and selfishness. I just, let's be careful, brothers and sisters. Why do I do the things that I do to my house? Why do I do the things that I do to my truck? Why do I do the things that I do to my dress? This is practical. Pride is going to have an expression. And if I am proud, it's going to ooze out somehow or another. It's not just going to stay hidden in there. Check your motives. Make sure you're doing what you're doing by the Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit of God is directing your life. If you are not, if there is a subtle streak of pride in there, that is a spot on the garment of the bride. That's serious. It's defiling. And you know what that does? If the world looks on, there is no greater reproach to God than to have a profession without a life to prove it. If you order a new truck and Ford dealership delivers that thing out to you on a truck and trailer and you unload that truck and you paid $60,000 for that truck. You've got truck, you've got power, you've got a tool. And you go to start that thing up and it doesn't start. And you go pop the hood and you look in that hood and there's no engine in there. Is that worse than never having ordered that truck? Absolutely. If you have a profession of life and godliness... And you are not showing it to the world. It brings tremendous reproach to the name of God. It's serious. But if you profess and you give words of life and your life and your character and your home and your family and your business validates that powerful testimony for Christ. Every part of my life should be a witness and a testimony that I am Christ. Not the world's. I see nothing in the world. I want all of Christ and nothing but Christ. And the way I conduct my business, the way I dress up my home interior, what I drive and how I drive is going to be affected. And Christ condemned the Pharisees for making outside the platter clean without cleaning the inside. You must clean the inside. 
You must find the bridegroom entirely fulfilling for your life. But I'm telling you, when you find that joy, when you find that oneness with Christ, the inside of your heart is going to be changed as well as the outside of your life. It will. Absolutely. There is not going to be the same life on the outside when everything on the inside is changed. There is going to be a cleansing. There is going to be a different walk of life. There is going to be different friends sometimes. No defilement for the purity of the bride. Cherish it, that purity. Sin kills fellowship. Go to 1 John 1. I'm not sure what time I started, so I don't know how long it is when there's an hour up. So I don't know what we're going to do about that. But if you want to walk out at, when you're tired of this, you may. We're going to keep going. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. I remember so well as a young man when this became so clear to me. There's a lot of questions in my mind. I wasn't sure about a lot of things, but I remember when this opened up to me. I don't have to know anything else, but if I walk in the light, God will bless it. And I will experience fellowship with Him and with other believers. It is impossible for me to be renovated on the inside, transformed on the inside, and not desire to fellowship with other believers. If I do not have a high value for the church of Jesus Christ, I probably do not have a high value for Jesus if I do not have a longing to blend in with other believers and experience fellowship, I cannot be a Christian without experiencing fellowship. A coal on a fire. One coal set aside is not going to stay hot. Now, we cannot borrow spiritual life from each other. But we do, our, our God has meant for us to be renewed in fellowship around Christ Jesus. We cannot hang on a limb by ourselves. It is God's will for us. And we'll look at that more later. God's will for us to blend into a body. All right. But if I hide things in my life, that is going to hinder that fellowship. If there is any part of my life that I hope no one asks about, it's going to keep me from getting very close to you. I don't care. Now, I may be sticking out my neck here. I don't care if it's reading material. I don't care if it's internet content. I don't care if it's finances. I really believe there should be an openness. And if there is not an openness, we're only going to get so close. And if my accountant is allowed to see my finances, but my brother is not, I am going to only get so close to my brothers. I believe that there should be an openness and a transparency. Now, I know, now be careful, that does not mean I just go and show everybody my books. Absolutely not. There's reserve and carefulness there. But there should be accountability. There should be responsibility to help each other. Stay on the straight and narrow way. All right. The compelling beauty of the bride is her love. Let's go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. 
verses 33 through 35. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. I'd like to notice here in verse 34 that a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love, excuse me, one another as I have loved you. Now, that is the new commandment. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Brethren, I write no new, no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. A, again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. This is simply a nutshell and a piece of our union with Christ. There's an old commandment to love. There's an old commandment to love God. There's an old commandment. There from the beginning. Now the new commandment is this. That you love as I have loved you. Now let's look at Romans chapter 5. In verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God. Is shed abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Ghost. Which is given unto us. Brothers and sisters. There is no more any excuse. To not have a fervent love for each other. And I am not talking about a void of hatred. I'm not talking about a void of ill feelings. I'm talking about an active love for you. For each other. Which thing is true in Him. It was true in Him. He gave His life for us. We saw at the foot of the cross. Christ dying. Christ giving His blood. Christ giving His life. For our forgiveness. Which thing is true in him. And now that thing is true in you. And that new love. And that is possible by the Holy Ghost which is shed abroad in our hearts. That is given to us. That is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. There's two year marks of this love. There's probably more but just two that I thought of. It is an unconditional love. And what, that, what I mean by that is it invests. It can love without getting an immediate return. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about that. Publicans and Pharisees can do that. They can love when they get a return. For us, it is different. With Christ's love within us, there is an investing love. That love is active. It changes lives. But we will have to invest it. There may be a time when you have to win a brother or sister again by loving. And they might shoot darts at you. They might not appreciate it, but that active Christ's love within you is powerful and it changes lives. That is what Christ is calling for us, his body. Number two, it is active. First John three, when I tell you that I I'm not going to turn there for time, but if I tell you that I love you, there is not an absence of activity going on. When I say that I love you, there is activity. There is a, a, a action that proves that love. That I am telling you that I love you with. And it makes a parallel with Jesus. How do we perceive the love of God? Because that He sent His Son to us. 
That's how we know it now for sure. God told us through the Old Testament that He loves us. But now we know it for sure. Now we see it in the foot, at the foot of the cross. And that is how we ought to love one another. That is how it is possible through the Holy Ghost. I'd like to look at a few verses. Now we're going to get practical on this. Romans 14, you probably know where we're going on this. But this matter of the conscience, this matter of walking closely. Um, I'm not going to read a whole lot of this simply to save time. I'm just going to look here. Romans 14 is basically telling me if I have a concern with my brother, if something that he's doing is, 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 is making me question, I need to be charitable. I need to realize that he's another man's servant. He's God's servant. I need to be charitable with him. I need to allow him to have the freedom of his conscience. For you it is saying... That if you know that I have a problem with it, you need to walk charitably with that. And you need to dig into that and see how you can come together on this. Now, I don't like using me, so I'm going to use two brothers here. Um, if there is a brother here that feels like, obviously some, nobody does. But if there's a brother here that feels like we should all wear a beard. Now, we're going to get practical. Listen, this is practical stuff, the church is. And if a brother feels like there should be beards worn, then we need to be charitable with that. We need to look into this. We need to talk about this. This is what I see in Romans 14. We need to walk charitably. Now, if you feel like you should wear a beard, but your brother doesn't, you need to be charitably, charitable with him as well. You need to realize that he has his own conscience. This is the outworking of You teach your child this way. I hope you do. That if a child grabs a toy from you, you need to let him have it. That's his aspect of it. But he may never go grab another toy, right? Okay, that's the same principle here in Romans 14. All right, so it comes down here in the last part of Romans 14 in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. In other words, the kingdom of God is not what I can allow and what I cannot allow. For in verse 18, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine. Now here's the catch that brings us all under this umbrella. Nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended. Alright, so if I know that I am doing something that is making my brother to stumble or is offended, if I continue on with that, I will cause, could cause offense to that brother. And that can cause him to stumble. And it could cause him to stumble in his Christian life. And that is serious. We can read on here. <clears throat> but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is evil for that man who eateth with offense. And then it goes on. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong spot there. Whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak, hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So, brothers and sisters, we need to be charitable. Herein is our love made known. If I say that I love you, let's see evidence of that. There's a brotherhood here. There's a working together. Next brother's meeting comes up and you talk about this way of doing the outreach plan. 
Well, another brother feels like we should do it this way. There is a work. This stuff gets practical, doesn't it? We have to reach a conclusion. It is not God's will for us to agree to disagree. I have a problem with that saying. That is not oneness. All right, let's look at some more scriptures. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. I've got a feeling that I'm going over my time. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. We'll try to wrap this up here shortly. Look at quickly at this verse here. Let's go to uh, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. This is Ephesians 4, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake. Now we're back at the cross. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. And in that next brother's meeting, when you're talking about that thing, when you're looking at it from this angle and that angle and this angle, and you, uh, you, you start having this feeling in your heart, I don't know, I'm pretty human, I, sometimes I feel this stuff. Why does he keep mentioning that? Brother, Christ forgave me much more than that. That's okay. It, it is God's will for us to deal with tenderness towards each other. Now, I know us men, we act like we can just Go and bow over things and be fine and stuff falls by the wayside. Tender-hearted. What does it mean? God's will for us to be tender-hearted toward each other. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake for, hath forgiven you. Sometimes, on the women's side, there's things said that hurts. And a deeper relationship, the deeper the relationship is, the more tender that relationship is. And, and sometimes you wonder, why did she say that? What made that come out? Forgiving one another as Christ forgave us. If there is gossip, if there is something going on that is sin, but if you are the recipient of it, it is God's will for you to forgive as as Christ forgave us. Now let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bows of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You see, we're still at the cross. We're still meditating. We're still seeing how Christ forgave us of so great a debt. And now it should be so easy for us to forgive our brothers and sisters. And then it says this, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Do you want to be perfect? Do you want to be perfect in Christ Jesus? Put on the bond of charity. Love your brothers and sisters. And if you feel like you are not much in the church, you don't feel like you're very needed, you can love like the world has never known love. It's the bond of perfectness. It's a challenge for all of us. There's something for all of us to do. We can love and show the world what clear, true, Christ-like love is. And it can look like a safe place. It can look like... There's so many hurting people in the world and they don't know the comforter that we know that it talked about in Isaiah 61. They don't know that. But you know that. And your love and your truth can compel them into the church by that love and make it a safe and hiding, a safe hiding place for them. That is the work of the church to, to be a haven of rest for the weary, a haven for the sin sick, for healing. It says in James there, it says praying one for another. That ye may be healed. 
The answer might not be to go to the counseling place. The answer might not be to read that book. The answer might not be that curriculum. The answer might be to have a meeting at church and pour out your heart and pray for each other and gather around. Oh, I've seen beautiful things come out of that. And there's just an openness. I have needs. Brothers and I need prayers. And we all kneel down. And there's laying on of hands that you may be healed. That is the work of the church. All right, the love of the church. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about submitting, that dreaded word, submitting. And just so we know that it's not an extra biblical term, let's go to 1 Peter 5, 5 and look at that quickly. We're going to look at two references concerning submitting. 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. That's all of us submitting one to another. I don't care if I'm in the ministry or not. Does not. I don't know who all is in the ministry here. I don't know who's all is part of that. But I am not exempt from submitting. The ministry is not up here and the laity down here. Now, there is authority. There is accountability to God. That we have to deal with. Absolutely there is. But I must submit to others. Absolutely. We cannot get away from that thing. That the ministry has the authority to say how it is. It is a work of the Holy Ghost to being oneness. It is not the work of the ministry. Now I want to be careful here. That's. It is not the work of the ministry for things that are not really here nor there scripturally to lay on the church. I don't believe. I think we need to be careful with that. But the ministry is responsible and accountable to a certain extent for the purity of the bride. If you don't believe that, read Acts chapter 20. It's serious. But we as a ministry must be careful to not have an overreach. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to here. But I see that. There's several situations happening right now down not too far from us that is just causing divisions. And there is an an overreach probably, but neither is there submitting. And if, if your ministry, if you have a problem with your ministry... Be careful that you don't have a problem with them because of rebellion. Submitting one to another. All right, now let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 21 makes a clear statement. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, if you do not have the love for the brotherhood that we just talked about, you're not going to submit. This love must be in our hearts. If we are going to submit, if we are going to give in to each other, if the brothers meeting comes up. And there's a big question here about technology. All right. That's a big one um, in a lot of churches. And so the question is this and the proposal is this. 
And though I want my way, and I have a legitimate reason to have my way, and I have all the evidence that it should be my way, the commandment for us as a group is submit to one another. Now, if you don't love your brothers, you cannot do that without agreeing to disagree. But it is not God's will for us to be knit together loosely apart. It's God's will for us to be knit close together. And when you, if, if, if I feel like my thoughts are so Holy Spirit inspired, then why do I not have the thoughts of hearing my brother? Why do I not have the thoughts then that maybe he has something valid to say? Why is the Holy Spirit not blending my mind and, and mouth with the whole? It talks about that. It is the work of the Holy Ghost to bring unity. Sometimes it is done by submission. But there should not be a kicking, unyielded submission. There should be enough of love in the brotherhood that I see what you're saying, I'll gladly put my heart to it. That's God's will for us to draw together and go. Listen, there's too great of a work for the church to do to be talking about and resisting the conclusions at the last brothers meeting. We need to go on. Be a shining light for the world. It's okay if I don't have a smartphone. That's alright. It's okay if I have to wear a beard. That's okay. I'm going to keep serving Jesus and love my brothers enough to accept and appreciate their conscience. Okay? That's God's heart for us. Now, when we're talking about coming together closely, there is a lot going on out there as far as church work that is not closely knit together. We don't want to lose our individual identity. We want to do it this way. You do it that way. Y'all can do it that way. We all are fine with that and good. God's will for His bride is to be closely knit together. One body speaking the same things. Glorifying God. And, and I believe we, we, we are okay sometimes with too much of a looseness. We need to be knit together tightly in love. And willing to bend and yield to each other. Those who are tight, those who are knitted together are stronger. There's a strength there. In fact, I think of the penguins. Let me, let me give you this as an illustration for the church. The penguins. They survived the Antarctic winter. No sun for, I forget how many days, um, it's at least a month, I believe. There's no sun shines in the Antarctic. This group of penguins, the way they survived that is called huddling. They all moved together, standing there all winter long, um, 125 mile an hour, mile an hour winds, below freezing weather, no sunshine, extremely cold weather. And the only way they survived is getting tight together. Alright? And they huddle, and they get close, and this whole thing is moving, just one inch by one inch, just just very slowly moving, and the outside ones go in, have their turn in the middle, and back out among the outside, and back in and back, and they survive the winter. Brothers and sisters, there's a cold winter out there. The tighter you are as a body, the more blessed you will be. And guess what? If I don't feel like I need the body, if I don't like this set of penguins, if I feel they stink, I want to get out of here, I don't need them, we are putting ourselves in vulnerable places. We need to be knit together. We need to be knit together. 
We're not done yet. We talked about the bridegroom. We talked about the bride. We need to talk about the mystery yet. Please turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 in verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. I want you to notice that out of the side of man came a rib. And and out of that rib was formed a woman. And God said, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And that is why a man should leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now turn please to John chapter 19 verse 32. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he saw that, and he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith is true, that ye might believe. Out of the side of man came a rib. Now out of that rib came a woman. Out of the side of Jesus Christ came blood and water. And out of that blood and water came the bride of Christ. Now turn to Ephesians 3. Verse 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs unto the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 24. I'm sorry, I don't have the right reference. One twenty four, thank you. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory and this mystery that was talked about in the Old Testament, this mystery of Christ and the Gentiles and the Jews coming together in one body, Christ dwelling with the church in the church and through the church. Turn to Ephesians chapter five, please. 
And as the church in the wilderness came out by a strong hand, that was always talking about an external leading by the hand. There is something much better for the church today. Ephesians 5, verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Now you tell me how little you're going to take that. But Christ is identifying himself with us. And he is the head. And the living, working out of that head is the body. And he is identifying that with him. We are that body. We are the one that is the... He is the invisible. We are the visible. Is it too much to say that we, the church is the visible part of the triune God. The church is the visible part of the triune God. I believe it. I'm going to keep reading. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And back there in Genesis, it said Adam and Eve, one flesh. And you can take this here as husband and wife. Or you can take it as Paul did and said, it's the church. One flesh. Does that bring hail upon us? Tremendous responsibility. I'd like to close with an allegory. There was a king. And he had one son. And in his city, there was the rich class of people, the high class of people lived there around the palace, the king's palace. The, and, and there was a broad area of, of high up people, a high class of people. If you out of the city, out through there, there was a more of a middle class area and it got poorer and poorer as it went. And out in the outskirts of the city, there was a poor, very poor class of people. And this king decided it was time for his son to marry. And they decided that they are going to find a wife for his son. And so they let everyone know that on such and such a day, his son was going to go out and find a wife. And um, so everyone was anticipating this. Everyone was wondering who this is going to be, what's going to happen. Finally, the day came. And um, this son, he started walking out from the palace there. He went out through, started walking down the road, and he went further. And everyone's wondering where he's going to turn in here soon. And he just didn't turn in. He kept walking. And pretty soon people started watching and wondering, and people started walking after him and... and um, getting curious to see what was going to happen, and he kept walking, and he kept walking. And he went out through the rich area, past the rich area, the upper class people. He went on out through the middle class area, kept walking, and on out. And everybody was wondering, what is this man doing? And he went on out, and finally all the way out, close to the end, last one of the last houses, there was this house that was very in poor shape. And out in the yard there was this young girl feeding the pigs and she was dressed very very poorly very tattered dirty garments just a very sad place um, 
Very poor. The description of poverty. And she was out there with a few husks of corn feeding the pigs. And uh, he was walking out through there and she saw him coming and stopped her work and watched and wondered what was going on. And he kept coming and at the end of the drive he stopped and he looked and he walked towards her. And of course she was completely dazed, didn't know what was going on and he walked up to her a couple feet from her, looked at her and offered his hand. And of course she was dazed. She didn't know what to do. She couldn't understand what was going on. And she accepted. And they started walking back. And um, of course everyone was surprised and walked behind them. And, and uh, they got close to the palace and he told her there was a, a place there to get ready for the wedding. The wedding was going to be in three days. And um, she could spend the time in there and get cleaned up and, and get ready for the wedding. Three days later, the wedding was come. Everybody was sitting there. Most of the city was there, sitting there waiting for this event. And um, the bride came out of a side door there, and everyone was shocked. That bride had completely changed looks and, and just beautiful white dress, glowing eyes and just a beautiful, beautiful bride. Glorious in every respect. And she came out and, and um, started walking up the aisle and it was so quiet you could hear a pin drop, just a breathless. And she walked up the aisle and um, the, they turned around and the king Behind them, after the ceremony, pronounced them one flesh. And uh, they turned around and they started walking out the aisle. And everyone was amazed and wondered. But the greatest wonder was not the bridegroom or the bride, but that such royalty found such poverty and came together. Christ in the church. Brothers and sisters, let's believe it. Let's act upon it. And until we believe it, until we have a vision for it, until we are committed to it, it won't happen. But if we believe it, if we know that we can experience it, we will receive it. Shall we kneel for prayer? Let's kneel for prayer. Oh, Holy Father, we thank you so much for your great love wherewith you loved us. Father, we pray that you would cleanse us. Make us beautiful, not for our own name's sake, but for your sake who has bought us and cleansed us for your own glory. Father, we pray that you would raise up your church. Make us strong. Make us pure. Make us brave for your name's sake. Let us go forth, Lord, raising the banner of truth and love in this tremendous time of need. 
Lord, help us to have a vision for our sons and daughters to be part of this glorious bride. Help us to not sacrifice them to this world. Father, please give us a vision. Please fill our hearts with a burden for the glory of your church. We pray for Oasis Christian Fellowship here, a part of your glorious bride. We pray that you would strengthen them, establish and settle them in your will, in your good word and work. Father, may they have grace to shine the light of Jesus Christ clearly and brightly. For Jesus' sake we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.